This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Michael Andretti is not going as fast this time as he has in previous laps. It appears as if he is going to make it. He's in corner number nine, the final corner on the racetrack. He comes off the ninth corner. The car is a little slow coming off the corner. He's out of fuel. He is out of fuel, dropping to the inside. And here comes the finish line. Who's going to win it? I think it's un- impossible to say at this point who won the race. It looks like Mario. Unbelievable. Michael ran out of fuel as the car came off the ninth corner. He dropped to the inside. Mario and Little Al were coming quickly. No question. Mario Andretti beat him by a scant four inches. It was that close. It sputtered. It spurted. Mario, with the killer instinct, even though it was his son, stayed in the throttle as they came across the stripe. It was that close. Does Blundell have time to run him down? I think he can close the gap, but he's got to be able to get by him. He's got to be able to make that pass. Two weeks ago in Detroit, Blundell missed out on his opportunity for his first career victory when he ran out of fuel with one one corner to go in the race. And now he has another chance here in Portland. Blundell looks down the inside. Three more corners to go, and then he'll have that wide and dry front straightaway. It'll be a drag race on the drag strip here at Portland. Off the corner they come. Oh, it's going to be a photo finish. Blundell, here comes Boisel in third to the line they come. And Mark Blundell takes the victory in his 22nd career start. IndyCar Racing is back in the Pacific Northwest. That was a great start, Alexander Rossi. He's already up to second. Here comes Hunter Ray in the yellow car. So the Andretti boys are trying to get through. Will everybody get through is the question to be answered. What a jump by power. Passion will have a trouble in the back. The guys are bailing through the chicane. Where will they come out? Oh, oh no. Dixon. That's no good. Dixon's in the middle oh, of that. Car upside down. Andretti, I think. Scott Dixon is in the middle. Takuma Sato wins on IndyCar's return to the Northwest. Perhaps, perhaps shadowing everything is Scott Dixon in fifth and will leave with the championship lead. There is Dixon involved in the lap one crash and comes away with a top five as he congratulates Sato. Alex Pillow is your race winner for the Grand Prix of Portland. It's his third win of the season and he extends his points lead with two races to go. And this weekend, we are headed back to the Pacific Northwest for another round of IndyCar in Portland, Sunday afternoon, here on the radio, 93.5-1075, The Fan, NBC, and Peacock is your television home. Some highlights from over the years, some classics from back in the day, 1986, 1997, and then in recent years, 2018 and 2021. Hello. Welcome. An in-studio appearance. Hello, Josh. Josh Molinix is our studio producer. I'm Kevin Lee. Kurt Cavan is somewhere tonight. Had to check and see if the key card still worked. Actually, it was the going-away party for MS Communication. Some of you that follow the radio news listen in Indianapolis. There's a bit of a transition going on. So uh, tonight was kind of a gathering, and even though I... Well, I, I rarely make an appearance anymore. I, back in the day, spent a lot of time here, so I wanted to come in and visit with some people, uh, and, and including our, our leaders, like Jeff Smullyan, uh, who are handing over the reins to Urban One and Radio One, the new owners, and I think that takes effect in like a couple of days. 
or something like that. So there was some paperwork to fill out. And, Kurt, the good news is there was an email in our inbox inviting us to continue. So that means we'll have a program next week. <laughs> That's really good, isn't it? I, I don't know that we were, you know, I don't know what we thought about it. it just a transition time and and companies do this from time to time and i've been through it you've been through it and and uh, but you just kind of wait to see if if uh, you're going to get that paperwork so mine came uh, really late last night and <laughs> i had checked my email yesterday and nothing there so i thought well we're at least going to do tonight's show and uh and then because the, behold, the email from last week said you'll be notified with an offer um by monday at the latest and in yeah. all honesty, I'd kind of forgotten about that. I had some other things going on, and I didn't have an email yesterday, and I woke up to one that yeah came at like 11.53. Uh, so we're in, right at the top of the list. I'm, I'm impressed, we're, though, because I, I really honestly thought they wouldn't notice that we were involved, and I, I probably should have made a call at some point and said, hey, would you like to have us? So it took care of itself, and here we are until they figure out that we made the transition and then maybe there'll be a change going on. <laughs> well, they may need us come May. You know, that's that's a thing. We're going to we're going to lift a heavy heavy load come come May 1st and 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 you know, certainly the Indianapolis 500 plays a big role in this community and and across these airways. So, it's important in May. It's the rest of the year that we've been fooling them on. So, we're going to get to continue. I think this is let's see. This would start year 15. Uh, for this program, it's difficult to believe. I, I would have to think we're about the longest running uh, Indy, IndyCar show. The podcasts are relatively new. So we will continue on our merry way and, and try to bring informed and somewhat uh, educated guesses on what's going to happen. Although we've had picks on IndyCar.com. And I got to tell you, Arnie Schrieben has been uh, whooping us the last uh month and a half with his accurate selection of race winners i didn't look to see yet who he picked uh that comes out tomorrow but arnie's arnie's gotten like six of the last seven races spot on the money and he would have had would have had scott mclaughlin at uh at worldwide technology raceway or he did have him but uh that would have been like, you know, another one in his cap because McLaughlin finished second. The point is, we'll continue on with the show and try to give some good insight for this weekend's race at Portland, the Grand Prix of Portland. And next week, the Firestone, uh, let's see, the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey. So pretty exciting stuff. And NBC for both of those. And I think 3 o'clock Eastern starts for both of those, about a 3.30 green flag on Sunday afternoon, Eastern time. First practice is... Well, it's really going to be basically Friday evening, Eastern time. So it's late Friday afternoon, uh, Pacific time. Road to Indy is there all weekend. They get started with testing on Thursday. By the way, Rob Howden, the voice of the Road to Indy, is going to join us coming up around 8.30 or so to talk about what's going on in USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000. So we'll get into that. Let's talk IndyCar and where are we stand. How many still got a chance, Kurt? So I think it's four. There are technically seven. And if you start going through the list, you can you can see why there's a, a pretty substantial uh, cutoff point. Will Power leads Joseph Newgarden by three points. So that's a toss up. Scott Dixon is 14 points out of the lead. So in effect, if he were to win the race, he would be right at the championship doorstep, if not uh, walking through it. Marcus Erickson is only 17 points out of the lead. That's your top four. 
Uh, and note in that top four that there are three drivers who have won championships a combined nine times. So those guys know what they're doing. Marcus Erickson's a newcomer to this bunch of championship contenders. Alex Pillow then is 43 points back. He would have to win this race and then, which he did last year, and then have the other four contenders ahead of him have some serious trouble for Alex to be, you know, right at the doorstep come next week at, at Laguna Seca uh, because they're only like 48 or 49 points available to be gained by a single driver, depending on what the leaders do. So Pelot is 43 points back. Scott McLaughlin is 54 points. So that's more than one race. And Pato Award is 58 points back. Again, more than one race. But, hey, if you take a big chunk out of it this week, and then you can go to next week with a chance. We talked about this last week. If you could be within, I'd say, 25 points, you'll have a legitimate shot at, at Laguna Seca if you could win the race there. Uh, it, I think it's it'll it'll certainly be two or three drivers going to the last race, and that will make, I believe that's now 18 straight years, if it comes to be, that the championship has gone to the last race of the season. And at least twice, maybe three times, if my memory serves me, that uh, certainly in 2006 and in 2015, uh, the championship was deadlocked in points at the end of the season. They had to break the tie based on number of race wins during the season. So we've had some really competitive and compelling championship fights. And this one's going to rank right up there, assuming, uh, you know, it isn't a, a runaway by, say, Will Power or Joseph Newgarden this particular weekend. We're going to have fun next week. Don't see that happening or any chance of that. It is going to be multiple drivers, and I'm going to say at least three have more than just a realistic chance, and you're probably talking five or so that have a mathematical chance. Uh, most everybody's tested somewhere late last week at Portland, yesterday at Laguna Seca. At the Portland test of the championship contenders, the three Ganassis. I'm sorry, the three no. Penskis. The three Penskis topped by Will Power, who had an off and, and a crash, I don't know how significant it was. Uh, damaged the front of the car, according to David Mulsher Lopez report at motorsport.com. And he did not get back on track uh, after 93 laps. Power was quickest. He was, let's see, about almost three tenths quicker, two and a half tenths quicker than Colton Herta. And then Joseph Newgarden was right behind him. Then Alexander Rossi, another three hundreds. Scott McLaughlin, another one or two hundreds. Uh, then Devlin DeFrancesco, Roman Grosjean, Kyle Kirkwood, and Dalton Kellett. So the Penske's were three of the top five. What, if anything, does it tell us? Well, it tells us, first of all, that uh, of the two racetracks, because let's backtrack here. We talked about this a little bit last week, and I found it fascinating that the two championship teams, for the most part, the Ganassis and the Penske's, uh, took different options on what to do with their final test. The Penske's didn't perform as well at Portland, uh, so they went to Portland with the Andretti's. And, you know, the measuring stick would have been the Ganassi cars, given that they finished first and third last year. But the Ganassi guys went to Laguna Seca on Monday. You'll get those times here in just a minute. But I think what it says is... Uh, you know, the Penske's, at least of the cars that were present, I think there were eight, maybe nine, uh, that 
that they were the best cars, and that shouldn't be surprising. Uh, but the strategy is they thought that that was the place of the two remaining racetracks, that that's where they needed to work. The Ganassi guys finished first and third last year at Portland with Pillow and Dixon, and they were on the front row with those two guys. So they chose to go to Laguna Seca on Monday. Do you have those times in front of you? If not, I do. I do. Alex Pillow was the fastest there. I think his came fairly late in the day. I believe I read that Scott Dixon put up a quick time early. He ended up seventh quickest overall. Felix Rosenquist was second quick, and the times were all very close. A minute 11.44 for Pillow, a minute 11.67 for Rosenquist, uh, a half a tenth back to Pato Award, so Aaron McLaren was good. Graham Rahal put a, a number on the board late in the day. He was fourth. Marcus Erickson, fifth. David Malukas, sixth. Then Dixon, seventh. And for reference, about a half a second off of Pillow, DeFrancesco, Callum Eilat, Jack Harvey, Christian Lungard, all separated by eight-tenths of a second. Takuma Sato, another three-tenths back. And then, oof, uh, Jimmy Johnson was a second off of uh, what Takuma Sato did. So Jimmy is a couple of seconds off of the pace. So a little bit tough sledding there. Uh, so he got the Penske's that were fast at Portland, the Ganassi's that were fast at Laguna Seca. Sounds about right. It does sound about right. And and the difference in the racetracks, uh, the Laguna Seca track is is very low grip. You know, that, that race surface has, has worn uh, quite a bit over the years. They're going to have a repave. Uh, the also, all the dust from the kind of the desert air that it's out there, it's, it's usually dusty and slippery. Uh, so the low grip style is something chip ganassi's team wanted to work on and the higher grip racetrack which portland is is something the penske's wanted to work on so i just think it's fascinating as i said last week i would have gone to portland because i thought the chance if you learned something could apply to both racetracks to some degree although these guys are smarter than than i am and have done it much longer than i have uh as far as a race team goes and Maybe there's nothing to be transferred over between the racetracks. But but anyway, uh, yeah, the right guys, the two guys that you would expect to be fast in the test certainly were. But, you know, keep in mind that we sometimes read too much into a testing time. The other thing I would point out is these are two of the shorter racetracks on the circuit. And so the separation, while seemingly close, uh, we're going to race, what, 110 laps, I think, at Portland and maybe 90, 95 at, at Laguna Seca. And so, you know, those get those separation of lap times get uh, acerbated pretty quickly. You know, something I was just thinking of, um, a, a reason you could argue to go to Laguna Seca instead of Portland, you know, first thought you're thinking, road course, we need to be outright quick. You, you want to qualify up front, but do you really need to qualify up front at Portland? We, we saw last year uh, the two guys that, yes, they did start 1-2, so it's good to be fast, but after one lap, they were, what, 20-something. So I guess you don't yeah. have to really qualify up front if you just kind of start. Probably the worst is starting mid-pack, because if you start in the back, then you can go in and top off and have an opportunity to do some different strategies. So I'm somewhat kidding that it's still nice to be able to qualify up front, but maybe if you had to pick one, over the other, 
where it's more critical to qualify well, I think it probably is Laguna Seca because of the chance several people are going to miss the chicane, and the rule is now that you go to the back uh, and a few are going to be collected in turn one. So it's going to get all mixed up. You could qualify ninth, and you might be third by the time you get through turn one. If yeah, you make but the if you're ninth, yeah, if you're ninth, you might also be collected by seven other cars, uh, you know, in front and behind. So, or you can you know, get Portland hit by is, the cars behind you if you're one and two, like last year. Yeah, Portland is going to be the wild card of the two based on on uh, the first lap for certain. Uh, you know, these are again tight laps, short laps. You know, there's more trouble really that that looms at at uh, at Portland, and it's not just the first corner. You know, the what what would be the end of the lap? Those last couple corners, I forget how they're numbered, but I know they're troublesome for several drivers. And and we've seen, you know, certainly in the practice sessions, uh, you'll see cars all over the place in in the sand trap and against that barrier. And we've seen the good guys do it, and. And uh, so it's it's a troublesome little circuit, if you will, less than two miles in length. I think it's 12 turns, but it uh, it feels like, you know, those first couple uh, turns one and the, the kind of loop there. And, and that's troublesome. And then the, the end of the lap is troublesome. So there's a lot of trouble to be had at Portland. And and if I was uh, if I was a championship contender, it would be the Portland race that I'd be far more worried about. What's kind of interesting is the pit layout, which is always based on the most recent race qualifying, and it's not exactly according to qualifying. This year, it's choice. So, you know, whoever has first choice is going to take, well, almost always going to take pit out. But as we saw at Mid-Ohio, because of that location, they chose the third or fourth stall. But generally, they're going to take pit out. You know, when you get to third or fourth, maybe they choose an opening. But the point being, you've got all the championship contenders all pitted there together. The pit order is Power, Erickson, then a break for the Firestone stand, Newgarden, McLaughlin, Pillow, and Dixon. The only one that's separated, who is a long shot, is Pato Award. He's right in the middle with an easy in in front of him. So that can sometimes make things interesting, especially if they're coming in a little bit, you know, not on a different lap, but say you're coming in five seconds later, that they're off sequence, one is leading the race, one is running 10th. You know, you may have a tire that they have to go around on the way in, on the way out that makes things a little bit interesting. You can help your teammates. The only teammates that are next to each other, Newgarden and McLaughlin, and then Pillow and Dixon, and everyone else is not with a teammate. So just something to note for for this weekend to keep an eye on, and that'll be nice that they're all kind of situated there together. So championship is obviously the big focus, and you know I think we'll ask everyone, and I don't know what kind of answer you get, and I don't know how they, they answer this. How aggressive are you? Logic would dictate that at some point Will Power is going to need to win another race, same thing for Marcus Erickson, but they are where they are in the championship. And if you just, if you're Will Power, finish ahead of those other guys, even if it's second and third, uh, and say McLaughlin wins the race or Pato Award or Felix Rosenquist wins the race, you're fine. So I don't know how aggressive you are if you're any of these championship contenders and how much you're paying attention to what everybody else is doing. 
So I think you're paying attention, uh, certainly. But I, if I'm the two Penske drivers, meaning Power and New Garden, I think it's it's pretty conservative, as much as conservatism is allowed in a race like this. Because again, short track with what 26 or 27 cars, you're going to be busy out there no matter what, and you know there's no room for for just kind of taking it easy. But uh, you know, in both of those two drivers' case, if you finish, you know, fifth, you know, the worst you're going to, unless you, you know, finish fifth and and your teammate is first, you're probably not going to be down more than 8 to 10 to 15 points max, and and that's if your teammate wins. Uh, so, you know, you can play it pretty safe. Um, I think where you start to get, you know, pulling some big risk is if you're, the you know, those – fifth, sixth, or seventh place guys, uh, meaning Polo, McLaughlin, and Pato Award. I think they're going to be in big time, you know, take a risk mode. But even even Dixon, I mean, I think if he if he can score a podium finish like he did last year at, at Portland, I think he'll go into the championship fight with a good enough, you know, chance. Now, if, if uh, Power or Newgarden wins the race, that's going to determine a much wider gap for everybody else. So as long as as long as Newgarden and Power don't win the race, it's going to be really really tight. And I think then you just play it as you know you play it not conservatively, but I think you're just kind of taking it as it comes. And if you can finish fourth, you finish fourth. And if you can finish higher than that, you do so. But you're not going to try to risk something to finish seventh or eighth because at that point, that that starts to get a little bit troublesome. For those that don't know the scoring system, the biggest separation between the between the points and the finishing positions is between first and second and then second and third. Those are, you know, the gap there can be as much as, 16 17 points uh so you know after you get past the podium you know really the drop-off isn't too severe so that's why those guys in the back need to win one of those guys needs to win to have a shot next week and um then they need for the t- the two lead guys in particular to not be in the top five it's pretty simple for Pato award he's going to be thinking you know win whether he finishes sixth seventh or eighth in the championship is probably not a huge deal. Maybe it is. You know, I would think you'd still really like to finish in the top five in the championship. So that that might be motivation. That feels a little different. Finishing fifth and sixth. That's a cutoff there. Uh, you know, I think McLaughlin is in a position where he can be aggressive. I, I still think McLaughlin is probably the best weapon for Power in Newgarden. Does that make sense that, you know, Palo is still thinking, "Eh, maybe I've got a little better chance. He's 11 points clear of where McLaughlin is. And plus, he doesn't want to drive for that team next year. I I think he'd be fine helping Scott Dixon. I think he likes Scott Dixon. But Alex Palo is clearly on his own at this point. Whereas Scott McLaughlin, I'm guessing, while he's not conceded the championship, feels like this has been great. I'm ahead of schedule. I'm winning races. I'm winning up front. I can help the team win the championship by either winning the race to make sure that Ganassi doesn't win it or just do whatever I can to, to help my teammates. So that's where I think an advantage potentially comes in for power in Newgarden that they're not really fighting McLaughlin as much as Dixon might have to fight with Pillow and Erickson. Fair point. Fair point. I also was looking at the last year's results uh, while you were talking, and and we talked about the test 
uh, last weekend at Portland. Only one of the top seven finishing drivers from a year ago was at that test uh, on on Friday of last week, and and that was Joseph Newgarden who finished fifth. So, you know, you've got a lot of guys who didn't test there but finished well last year thinking, you know, I've got a shot. And so, you know, to win the race and I think uh, or or fare pretty well, you know, so we have, you know, at some point today we'll get into some of those other drivers to watch. But uh, Jack Harvey, for example, could kind of spoil somebody's party. Uh, he finished fourth last year. He may take a top five position that's important for the championship. But to your point, I think McLaughlin is one who could uh, could certainly help his teammate. Uh, and I and I think it really works out well for him that he's pitted next to one of those championship contenders as well. Could be in a case where he gives up a maybe a clean run into into pit lane, uh, so that the other driver, his teammate, has a has an easier entry or an easier exit. I think they can play that game. Yeah, I could see them not pitting he, he and Newgarden together to help uh, Newgarden out, and frankly, it helps out McLaughlin in that situation as well. And here's what's probably going to happen. Either Colton Hurd or Alexander Rossi are going to win the race, which is good from a show standpoint because that means it's more likely that we're going to have several still in the mix. If one of these championship contenders does not win this weekend, it'll be even tighter when they get to Laguna Seca coming up the following weekend. You're welcome to join us. Questions, comments, thoughts, theories, at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. On social media, plenty more to come. Uh, other theories on Silly Season, we'll share what's going on there, what might be happening, what might not be happening, and plenty of other stuff coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. So I got some catching up to do with a couple of tweets that I missed from last week, and we'll see what we have for tonight. At Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Uh, this from David at DFV Fox. After the stall in pit lane, I'm curious as to why Newgarden was allowed to return to a second place position. He's referring to the uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway race at Gateway. When the same situation occurred to Ed Carpenter in the 22 Indy 500, he was not allowed back in his 11th position. Will Power similarly, similarly... That's difficult to say. I should avoid that. Thoughts, David asks. So was it the exact same or had Will sat there for a couple of laps and the same for Ed? Because I wondered about that, too, and I will admit I did not go to look into the similar circumstances. Yeah, I, I think the situation must have been a little bit different. Joseph, you know, on a restart like that after a rain delay, you know, I think as long as as the cars fire up and don't lose a lap, I think you should be allowed to get back to your position. Uh, it was you're not the reason that that the caution came out for so long, and and again, it wasn't much of a delay, but and he didn't lose a lap, so I think that was all fair game. And I know Will sat for quite some time before the car sure. got started. Ed, did did he lose the lap? Because he lost his position because at the end of the 500 this year, maybe Ed's listening and he can help us if he's still on carpool duty. Um, boy, he was inside the top 10, I think, late in the race and restarted pretty far back. And that's what happened to him. So I don't know if it took a full lap to get him going or what the scenario was in that case. But 
You're right. The uh, Joseph, I wish I had a better answer for that one. Maybe we'll ask that tomorrow on the competition call. So let's revisit that uh, coming up next week. Yeah, that'd be a good question. Chad Bunch at Bunch ECB. Any word on why Power did not pit when the other Penske's pitted? Almost seemed like they missed calling him on the radio. So, Maybe. Yeah. I got mixed you information know, on that. I was going to say, it felt like mixed information. It's It felt like that, well, and Power said, had he been told how many laps he still needed to make on that fuel run, that he would have said, let's come to pit road. It did feel like like they missed the call or, or miscalculated, but they don't do that at Team Penske. At least they don't miscalculate. But I, but I think that, uh, that Will kind of like an athlete who knows his body better maybe than the doctors do. Uh, I think he knew how his car was going to run at that fuel number that they were going to ask him to make. And that's why he said, I, I would have come to pit road had I known that information. Ed Carpenter is listening. I've sent, I'm sending you the, uh, the hotline number, Ed, feel free to call in and, and we can talk about this, that, or the other. We don't have to, uh, spend a lot of time on this, but he says, I did not lose a lap. I believe it was because of abandonment of procedures rule, but a great question, he says. Um, <laughs> he can't call in. He's in the middle of things. He's probably in, in the queue right now to pick up the kids, so we appreciate that and appreciate the information. We'll see you in a couple of days. So, yeah, I will ask that one tomorrow on how that works. So that is a good question, and I think Ed will be interested in the answer to that one uh, as well. Hmm. Okay, so back to the other question. I was reading Ed's text on that. Did we get that one sorted? Yes. Okay, good. Next question is from Formula Indy. Do you see Portland staying on the calendar in the future? Well, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so, too. I mean, these things are always uh, dependent on factors that have little to do with, with the actual racing product or even attendance for that matter, because sometimes, you know, good racetracks and attendance wise uh, still fall off the schedule and, and tracks that don't draw well will stay on the schedule. So, but you know, it, it has more to do with the local, you know, the local push, if you will, and the promoter. And then of course the bottom line. So I believe that Portland is on the schedule next year. So I think we're safe from that standpoint beyond that. I, I don't know what the length of the contract is, but I've not heard any conversation like that race is in peril. So I expect it to be back for next year. And then the reality is, is let's see how it goes. It had a better crowd the first year. And then obviously you've dealt with different circumstances in the last couple of years. The crowd was not, didn't appear to be awesome last year, but I also would say it was not terrible. And then it just depends on, you know, what the commercial aspect of it is. You can have a lesser crowd if you're selling all of the suites and you've got a significant number of corporate partners and everything that goes along with that. And it, it's still a moneymaker for the local promoter. So without seeing the books, it, it's hard to tell. But, you know, that is one of those that people do wonder about. But I, I don't get the sense that that one's on super shaky ground and i would not put that one in the one that's in the most peril so i i am optimistic that, that this can be a long-term home for indycar as we move forward so uh we'll hope for the best on that one we've seen a few more schedule things you know one thing speaking of that 
uh, that I saw from different sports car series and otherwise that were sent out. I need to find this screen grab. But I believe I saw that Road America is going to have a Trans Am race. I think it was the second weekend in June, which would be a weekend earlier than what IndyCar would be. So that either tells us that probably, I suppose it could be a standalone, but that either IndyCar is moving up a week or they're going to have an Xfinity race or something like that there. So there, if you, if you search all the sports car schedules that are being released right now, you might be able to find some clues as to when some different things are going to be. Um, you know, are they going to be able to avoid a conflict conflict with Lamar? That's a question that remains. Where's Texas going to be? That's that's the big one. One, where's it going to be, and is it going to be? I think it is going to be. But as we've talked about before, IndyCar has been clear, Roger Penske has been clear that we need to see things done a little bit differently moving forward. So can they come to an agreement? And when it comes to the schedule being released, that's my best guess is that's the one remaining obstacle. And then the the third part of that or second, wherever we're at, is can it not be on Sebring weekend? Because I'm guessing that Quite a few drivers, some team owners, even Penske organization themselves would prefer that it not be run on Sebring weekend. A lot of drivers make extra money. And beyond the money, it's not just that. They like to drive in these events. And if you want to do Daytona and Petit Le Mans as the endurance driver, you kind of need to be available for all three of them. It's difficult to get someone to just hire you for... Daytona and Petit Le Mans if you're going to miss one of those three events and that was the case this year that a, that a couple of guys that normally would run those didn't get the opportunity to do that so best case scenario is they're avoiding that uh, they have those dates so those are the things that I think still remain but Curtis we saw last year sometimes you just can't avoid it if you're offered yeah. network TV versus cable TV a week later sometimes you have to say it's probably better for us to be on network TV it is. It is. Uh, I would add to the scheduled discussion, uh, perhaps this maybe should have been news of the day, that uh, that Jay Fry told, uh, uh, told Racer that there would be more essentially open tests or official tests next year and that there would be a return to spring training. So essentially an event before the start of the season where everybody attends. That's good. You get good publicity. You get a chance to run things. One of the things Jay said in that story was, you know, we have a lot of things as a sanctioning body that needs to be set up from a computer standpoint, from timing and scoring, and just, you know, going about the officiating of an event, all the things that go into the procedures, not to mention the teams just kind of getting their sea legs back, having essentially a preseason game like the NFL is is going through or just finished going through uh, to kind of get everybody back in the habit of of uh, of racing again under competition, even though there's not a, a race per se, all the other elements of a race weekend are in play. And so uh, having that that spring training, as we've often called it, is, I think, good for the sport. And uh, as I said, it's a good publicity kind of gets people thinking, OK, you're back. It's not an official event, but we're back. And uh Look for us on on this date to to kick off the season, probably in St. Petersburg. Uh, where that test will be remains to be seen. We haven't seen you know the schedule, those kind of things, but 
but uh, having one of them got away from it the last couple of years due to due to the pandemic and and then so forth. So uh, we'll see where where it ends up from a location standpoint and a date standpoint. But it's good that that should be back on the schedule in twenty three. I think it's very good that that comes back on. And you know, is it growing the sport? Is it bringing in new fans? No, it, it's probably not. But sometimes you just need to keep the fans that you have, the hardcores interested. Make sure that they're spreading the word for you. Do something for them, and that's what a full field test does for you. It gets everybody kind of excited, talking about things, engages everyone. So that's good. You know, in the past when it's been a full field test, we've done some streaming. Uh, It's a good excuse for more media people to come. And I think it's good when there are more full field tests. Maybe I'm missing something. Teams may disagree because you have a more relaxed atmosphere. You know, you don't ever have to worry about a busy track if there are only nine or ten cars instead of 20-plus cars. But from a standpoint that I look at it, I like to see most, if not all, there because I think it gives maybe more media outlets a reason decide to go ahead and use the budget to come out there. It's one thing if it's, you know, it's just going to be nine and there's no official timing and scoring and yeah, we can sort of get it from someone, but if it's everybody and then we do an organized media session, which they normally do in the small tests or they often do as well, but I think it becomes a little bit better, you know, and then just frankly for cost reduction, I'm sure it's good for Firestone. It's good for safety. It's good for IndyCar. If everybody works together on that front uh locations i've seen homestead mentioned before you know one thing about this year is the season starting in february limited you a little bit in where you could go because you had to get the, the preseason test done even earlier now the season's not going to start a whole lot, lot later last year um the first weekend in march i think it's march 5th or 6th or something like that is when we think st petersburg is going to be but at least it buys you a week to where maybe, maybe could you consider Barber around the 20th, 25th, somewhere in that range? That's a little bit iffy. You know, Sebring is still an opportunity. Uh, Would you think about going back to Circuit of the Americas if you're not racing there? Those are some of the options. Could you get creative and go to somewhere like Thermal in in California or something like that? Uh, I don't know if that's a proper IndyCar test track or not, but that will be something that we can follow. And, you know, hopefully you can kind of make it an event. For those of us that aren't paying for it, that's always been the dream. Make it as much of an event as possible. I'd love to see a a fan opportunity, but then – cost money to open the gates so you need to know you're going to get a certain amount in before you do that but one of the things i've mentioned is that the imsa week before the daytona uh, rolex 24 their test session has a decent amount of people there and it really feels like a good event and people come in and it's more relaxed and there's good access could you do something like that in the right situation talk more about that and plenty more of your thoughts uh we've got news of the day still to come Uh, Silly season and much more all coming up. Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Scott Dixon and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. One of the championship contenders with two to go in the NTT IndyCar Series. Coming up in Portland this Sunday 
afternoon. It's time for the Speed Roam Circle City Raceway News of the Day. Saturday night at the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speed Roam, powered by Lincoln Tech. The action stays hot as they get closer and closer to the World Figure 8 Championship three-hour endurance race, September 8th through the 10th. And this Saturday, it's a full night of stock car racing on the historic 5th Mile Oval, capped off by exciting, wild, and unpredictable late-model figure eight action. Adult tickets are only $10 this Saturday night, and you can always get info at speedrome.com. Our news of the day, Kurt, is... Hey, the Rainbow Warriors are back. You you may have seen in the last few days that Jeff Gordon and Ray Evernham, the crew chief, the you know, really took NASCAR to new heights in the 1990s. They're going to get back to working together this weekend, and appropriately, it'll be at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, as you can see, IMS Racing and then Circle City Classic this weekend, So, or Circle City Raceway. So this weekend at the Speedway, you've got IMSA-sanctioned Porsche Carrera Cup, North America. By the way, that's presented by the Cayman Islands. I'd like that presenting sponsor. <laughs> anyway, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Porsches galore. Gordon, Jeff Gordon will be driving the Porsche 911 in the GT3 Cup car, uh, and it'll be uh, it'll be really fun to watch him again driving the number 24 at IMS where he won five times. Uh, again, amid the action is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm sure you can get all the information on tickets at uh, IMS.com. Uh, it's interesting also because it'll be the first time Jeff has been on this road course. He was on it briefly in 2003. He did a swap a seat swap with Juan Montoya. Jeff drove the Formula One car. Juan drove the stock car. Uh, they did that in 03, but the, the racetrack has been changed in configuration since then. So really the first time Jeff has has uh, experienced that. So the second Porsche Sports Car Together Fest this weekend at IMS featuring Jeff Gordon with Ray Evernham on his crew chief. So I was trying to find an entry list for that because there are usually some other serious drivers there. Parker Thompson is a friend of mine that does well in, in that series. He's raced in the road to Indy. So this is legit. And there are two possibilities. One, Jeff just wants to have some fun. But I think, two, either he uh, is wanting to gauge his ability to run Le Mans next year in that, that NASCAR GT program that Rick Hendrick is involved with, or they have said, hey, Jeff, if you want to do that, we need to see you drive something. It's been a little while. So there's, I think, more than just a fun weekend for Jeff Gordon this weekend as well. And, hey, also the NHRA U.S. Nationals. Nationals are coming up this weekend, right? Labor Day weekend? Yeah, so that that gets started. Boy, I bet that gets started tomorrow as well. So there's great stuff going on at Indianapolis Raceway Park, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park as well. Great stuff going on there. So that's the news of the day. And this Sunday, there's racing action over on Indy's Dirt Track as well. And that's Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds on Indy's southeast side. Sunday, it's the finale of the Shirley Unlimited Snow Company UMP Modifieds running the season championship Snowball 50, plus Kenyon Midgets and Micros racing on the quarter-mile bull ring. Only $10 for adult tickets, family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and outrageous fun. Times and location information is available at CircleCityRaceway.com. Hour 2 of Trackside is coming up. 93.5107.5 The Fan. This is Alex Palou, and you're listening to Trackside.
Hour two. Thanks for staying with us at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. If you have something for us tonight, Josh Molinix is our studio producer. Tonight we are inside the MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters. Do I need to, I'm going to need to know the new lingo next week, right? Although this is still the MS building. How will we phrase that? Maybe we'll be asked not to say. Because <laughs> Emmis maintains the building, and then the new owners officially take over of the Emmis Communications radio stations coming up in, uh, I think, in a couple of days. I got a new email. If, if you send stuff to my Emmis email, don't anymore. It's not going to work. I don't know what my new email is. That's one of the things that I've I've got to find out. I think it's going to get forwarded over for a little while. I got a little packet when I came in today for uh, for Urban One, the the new company that is going to own the radio station in a couple of years. Luckily, I know one of the head persons there, so I'm excited about that. He worked here a while back when I actually used to come into the office, so... At some point, I'll visit the new headquarters in a little bit. All right, hour number two as we get into some things. And I was talking about schedule, and um, I may have had the dates off. For the love of Indy, says Trans Am has Road America's July 6th through 9th on its schedule. So maybe I was off by a month, or maybe I'm thinking of some other sports car series. So maybe they're still going to have Xfinity. We know they're not going to have Cup next year, but maybe they still have Xfinity and would have a combo there. Uh, so we will wait and see. Hoping we get an IndyCar schedule the next couple of weeks or so. I've heard nothing about this weekend. So maybe it's ready to go by the time we get to uh, to Laguna Seca. All right, Kurt, it's time for the segment of who has McLaren signed or fired in the last uh, since the last show. What do we have since we last spoke? <laughs> we probably have six or seven guys uh and it's been funny all the social media memes that have have poked fun at the situation but uh i think are we still waiting to find out whether or not uh the latest addition to the organization has been uh cleared for the alpine team or, yeah they were having McLaren? A, basically the so since our last show i, I believe I think the Ricardo news came out after we last spoke. Wasn't that going into last weekend? So that was Wednesday or Thursday when we got the official word. I think we knew it was headed that direction when the reports were that they were going to sign Oscar Piastri. Um, but it became official, and Ricardo helped confirm it, that he's out at the end of the year and still wants to return. So here's some news out of that. Zach Brown confirmed in some conversations that he did bring up and – floated the idea of Ricardo moving over to IndyCar. Wondering what Alex Pillow thought about that, <laughs> that Ricardo was offered the seat that Pillow thought he was offered, although maybe Pillow thinks he was offered Ricardo's seat, which is, you know, part of the twisting in the wind that everyone has uh, at this point. Fascinating. If there could have just been a Netflix or Amazon Prime series solely on McLaren, and you know what, Kurt? I wouldn't put it past him to have been recording all of this. Yeah, they, I, they, I think they, that's right. They're really sharp and really savvy, and I think sometimes willing to put their dirty laundry out in public for the greater good of everything. So I, I think it's possible. And if not, you know, I think it's possible they got someone documenting these things all of the time, and they did one a few years ago, did they not? I think they did one when Alonso was there. That was on 
either Netflix right. or Amazon Prime that was maybe before Drive to Survive. That was it was yeah that was pretty good, but it was just one team. Well, this is one of those years where one team between their IndyCar and their Formula One and I guess their Formula E project could could be enough. But Ricardo apparently is not interested in IndyCar, and I guess I can understand that because I don't know, other than McLaren, if he said no to them, I don't see it happening because I don't think anyone else could pay him a salary where he would say, you know, because I think he has some trepidation about the risk of the ovals. Maybe there's a number that makes you get past that, um, but no one else can come close to reaching that number. And I think he'll find a spot. I think he'll end up at Alpine or somewhere because there's still some movement coming in. And we just need to check Marcus Erickson's Twitter because he's got it all figured out of where everybody's going. And so far, he's been right on it. So we still need to hear from from, uh, this board that's going to decide. I think they started yesterday and we'll take a couple days to, to resolve uh, where Oscar Piastri is going, whether he's returning to Alpine, where he was a reserve driver last year, or he's going to McLaren. And that will initiate some dominoes along those fronts. Uh, interesting that, and maybe it's time to, to segue to this, uh, but it's interesting that now Colton Herta's name is coming up in other places yep. relative to Formula One. And it's not just McLaren where... You know, it is clearly a log jam. So Alpha I'll Tori. let you dive. Alpha yep. Tori, which is the former Toro Rosso. So this is the Red Bull Junior team. And it's a little bit unclear as to where he fits in there. And I think there have been some theories that, you know, maybe this could potentially, because he, he is under contract for McLaren, at least as a Formula One test driver. So he would need to be let out of that to drive for someone else. So if it helps Alpine out in some way or form, maybe that's part of the buyout agreement if um, the arbiter or whatever the term would be rules in front of, in, in, in favor of Alpine, that allows Piastri to come over to run for McLaren next year. This is all getting very, very confusing. But yes, there does seem to be another... Another possibility for Herta, we have heard about the super license points. He's not going to have enough. I suspect there are exemptions. Would they go out of their way for an exemption for an American driver? I would think. I'm hearing Logan Sargent, who really didn't have much. He didn't seem to have a fantastic future nine months ago has a really good chance of being the Williams driver next year. Now, I know you're running at the back, but it's still compared to this time last year, and he didn't know what his future was going to be. He was going to have a test, I think, for Foyt, and that was canceled when he got an F2 drive. But I'm hearing that they want to capitalize on the American interest, hire an American F1 driver. You know, let's face it, it doesn't matter who their driver is going to be. They're going to probably be in the back, so he gets a chance there. So that's fascinating on that front. And then I also read today, and I think this was motorsport as well, that the driver, uh, I've, I admit I've forgotten his name because I'm not following F2, but that's leading the championship, said that he's not interested in IndyCar. I've seen his name uh, linked to IndyCar 
and a couple of possibilities, but he said even if he doesn't find a Formula One seat for next year, he would be looking to become a Formula One test driver rather than making making the jump over to IndyCar and trying something like that for next year. Drugovich, I think, is his name uh, for next year. So I do. I have heard a couple of other F2 names that are possibilities for next year. Uh, maybe we, we dip into what we know, and I suspect we'll hear a little more this weekend at Portland as things start to sort out uh, a little bit. Here's another theory I have, Kurt, on what could happen with David Malukas. And we talked last week that if you're David Malukas, don't you think long and hard about the grass not being greener, uh, of seeing Grosjean leaving and actually the performance not being as good as it was in the Dale Coyne seat. And there is still something to being with one of the, quote, big teams. And there probably is a limit to what teams that don't have the budget and the number of engineers and the personnel that maybe there is a ceiling on what you can do there. But how about this? Why not? Because your father is a co-owner of the team. Clearly, he's... A, he, as has been said, Henry Malukas is in this not just to buy a seat for his son. This is something he's wanted to do, and his son happens to be a very good young race car driver, and they can work together. Why not simply enhance the Dale Coyne racing and the Dale Coyne HMD operation and build it up bigger? Why does it have to be one of the, quote, small teams, one of the lesser budgeted teams? And I think Dale has always said, you know, I, I get the sense that he's not super interested in adding a lot of sponsors. I think he's he's said this to me before that, you know, if I need to raise more money, I just start another business <laughs> or I, I make sure that I do a little better in business because racing is kind of what I do for fun. And it's really hard to deal with all the other things. And that's what he did when he was a driver getting started. What if Dale handed off more of the commercial side of things to the HMD side and said, here, go at it. Sell the sponsorship you want. We'll raise bigger budget. But you're in charge of that. You're in charge of the hospitality and everything that goes along with that. I'm just here to race. And then with that extra funding, we can hire more engineers. We can build a bigger shop. We can add a third car. Do all of those things. Is that plausible? And then the team is built around David Malukas as a talented young anchor driver rather than going somewhere else where you're going to need to fit in and do the things the way they need to do it. Could that argument be made to David Malukas? Well, I think it could be made to David. Uh, I also think it would be difficult for David if he was offered – say the 10 car at at chip ganassi racing given the success it's had although although you and i would point out if we were doing things in a fair representation that that the 10 car hasn't always been alongside i mean it hasn't always been successful alongside scott dixon there have been years where the 10 car didn't function like the 10 car has over the last calendar year or with Dan Weldon or with Dario Franchitti. There have been some other guys in the 10 car and it didn't work out so well. So, um, you know, I think we could make that argument, but it would be difficult if another team, you know, uh, a Ganassi in particular, now maybe there's some other teams that he wouldn't join, but, you know, 
I'm still getting to know David as you are, and I think I have a sense for what he might do. But if Chip Ganassi's standing there with, I mean, money's not, I don't think, the driving factor for, for David, but past success would suggest to you that the Ganassi car would be something you couldn't turn down. But we don't know if it's going to be open. And right. I'm up and up by another few percentage points below staying in that car next year. Um, I, I I agree with you too. Yeah, I, I I'm not up to fifty fifty yet, but I I still think there's a chance that that's the way it works out, and maybe the way it needs to work out from the legal standpoint. And apparently, there's been mediation going on there, and it's they've done a great job of keeping everything tightly sealed and I haven't seen any leaks and I've not heard anything either on how that's going or where they stand in that regard. But I do think there is a better chance that Pelot is in that car much. I think that as we've said before, the hard part was getting past Toronto and I still suspect there was some, some deep thinking about that weekend. And once you get past that, it becomes a little more plausible to bring him back next year and he's still the best option and it would likely take some maneuvering to go get someone else and I don't know other than who David Malukas is who that someone else is at this point and then if you're Malukas do you I I think you feel pretty good about where you're at and then you can look at what we talked about trying to build the program around you or you might find even brighter horizons in a year when Will Power's contract is up. Now, Will Power is showing that he might get another contract. I think Will was a year or so ago thinking, yeah, 23 is going to be my last year, but he might win a championship this year. Uh, so I'm not sure that Will is done after one more year, but if he decides he is, then is David Malukas Penske material? And as good as Chip Ganassi racing is, as you mentioned, the 10 car has been hit and miss. None of the Penske cars have been hit and miss, right? If you got a Penske ride, you're going to win races. We've not seen anyone in a Penske car. This would be a good project to look up. We've talked about the Indy 500. The New Garden is the only one that's been there more than five years and is still there. It gets kind of confusing, like with the Briscoe situation, who had six or seven years. But I'm going to guess that that didn't win an Indy 500. But I'm going to guess everybody since, oh, when Elio and Jill DeFerrin came, you know, we're talking 22 years now, has won a race that's been with Team Penske. Does that sound about right? And probably won several races. Point well taken. I think the only the only year, maybe that last Pagano year a year ago, was not kind of a Penske material. That felt like it didn't it didn't live up to standards. But no, I mean over their, their stint. Yeah, that year wasn't fantastic. But he finished second in the championship twice and won one exactly, and won the Indy five hundred in his tenure. So it was a successful tenure for Simon Pagano with Team Penske. Absolutely, and I, you know, I there aren't even the Pagano year of twenty twenty one is is a is a rarity. It just doesn't happen, and and when you have four cars, obviously somebody's going to finish no better than fourth in a championship because there are four Penskys, but uh, or there were, but uh, but point well taken. I mean, I don't know if you if I can sit here and 
in uh, late August of 2022 and say David Malukas is, is Penske material because they'll have their choice of everyone in the paddock. Maybe by that point, you know, one of the guys that's been tagged for McLaren, uh, since there are a lot of them that won't get the rides <laughs> that they expect, would be considered Penske material. You know what I mean? Well, so, and remember, Colton Herta is a free agent after next year, too, if he's not in Formula One. So there, there are a lot of people that would be on on Roger Penske's uh, short list. Uh, I guess it sounds funny to say, but Penske would have his choice, is what I'm getting at. And I don't know that David Malukas would be his first choice uh, of the of the group, but he but he certainly would be a, a candidate for sure. Well, and, and the great thing for Team Penske is they would not be making that decision right now. They'd get an entire, at least another half of year to evaluate and see because if he continues on the trajectory then he would be Penske material so the next year will tell us a little bit more about that here's what I have made a list of unconfirmed seats that we have at this point we still have the number seven Arrow McLaren SP that could be Felix Rosenquist could be Alex Pillow could be who knows I suppose it's one of those two but what if the Pillow thing lingers and Rosenquist is indeed allowed out if he finds something else? Is there another possibility in there? Uh, the 10 Ganassi we just talked about. The 48 Chip Ganassi racing car is probably either Jimmy Johnson or it doesn't run. It's either Jimmy part-time, I think he'll at least come back part-time, and he, he very well might come back full-time again next year. The 14 and the number 4 Foyt four car. I think Benjamin Peterson from Indy Lights is going to be in one of those cars next year. I don't know about Dalton Kellett. I haven't had a chance to talk with Dalton. Um, I think there's some potential other conversations going on there, so I'll ask about that this weekend. As we mentioned, we think David Malukas is in the 18, but we will see. We think Takuma Sato is in the 51, but he told me it's not done yet, and there has been a little bit of interest elsewhere, including in other types of racing, but I suspect that's going to happen. And then there was some speculation about the 29, um, but I had been hearing that was all good, and then I see Racer.com reported that that is all set for next year for Devlin D. Francesco. So uh, cross that one off your list. And another open seat, uh, I do think there's a, a great chance a really good to great chance that we're going to see a second car for Hunko's Hollinger Racing. Is that where Alinas Lundquist ends up? I see there the Indy Lights likely champion. Uh, the other possibility for him, I guess I would see if Malukas leaves, then he could replace him at Dale Coyne Racing with HMD, who he drives for right now. Or if Ganassi drops to three entries and a Honda lease becomes available, uh, Dale Coyne has told me he is interested in running a third, but I think there's no room at the end for Honda. So something would have to give either Andretti dropping a car, but that does not seem likely now, or Ganassi dropping a car. That's the scenario there. I've mentioned Ed Jones. I hear has uh, budget available to him again and might have the most budget of those drivers that are out there. You know, could we see Ryan Hunter Ray again? That, you know, I said who would be the option for Ganassi? If things fall through, or Errol McLaren, that might be a Ryan Hunter Ray as kind of a stopgap in in that scenario. Again, Oliver Askew, Matt Brabham, and on and on and on and on. So uh, that's where that is at this point. That was uh, 
That was good stuff. Speaking of teammates, real quick, uh, the Formula One race, uh, the former teammates Alonzo and Hamilton had a good little uh, Ooh, yeah. bang, bang. Frosty. Uh, it, it was frosty, and, and uh, Alonzo saying this guy only knows how to start from the front, and Hamilton didn't appreciate that. He took responsibility for their contact in Belgium, but, but uh, didn't like how his uh, former uh, teammate and fellow champion uh characterized his ability to race but uh i always like those little you know tiffs between uh big name drivers and so we had one uh, and that was interesting another nugget for you it is looking less and less likely that kyle bush is going to stay with toyota and if he's driving next year it's likely to be with chevy uh cowlig where aj allmendinger drives or or richard childress so does that open the door, making it a little bit more possible for him to be in the Indy 500 in a fourth Penske Chevy car? I'd keep an eye on that one. And um, Meyer Shank Racing has re-signed their sports car driver. Tom Blunk was the first confirmed next year for their DPI, which is going to be called LMDH slash GTP. But it's of interest to IndyCar fans because he is going to test an IndyCar at the end of the season. Still a relatively young guy. I'm going to say 26, 27, something at that range. Could he be part of the plan for, say, 2024? Uh, if it, indeed Elio Castroneves is doing one more. So you might keep an eye on Tom Blunquist. He mostly had done GT racing, but he has been fabulous in the prototype. By the way, I got to go to VIR for an IMSA race this weekend. Really cool, really fun event. There still is an interest, and there are track alterations available. Maybe they have IndyCar at some point. I wouldn't say it's likely, but it's still on the list of things that they are interested in. We'll talk future IndyCar drivers in the road to Indy coming up in a moment on Trackside. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. Thanks for staying with us as Trackside continues. 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis as we head towards, as they like to say, the penultimate IndyCar weekend, the next to the last championship race for the NTT IndyCar Series, and it is the championship weekend for the road to Indy, USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000. So let's catch you up on what's happening there just a little bit with the voice of the road to Indy, Rob Howden. Rob, how are you? I'm good, Kevin. Excited to get out to Portland and then wrap up this 2022 season. And then we uh, will get started in 2023 just like that. And a lot of what happens in 2023 will be based on what happens this weekend. Here's the reality of junior formula racing, and it's also a good reality, at least in the States, because in some other categories, winning a championship doesn't get you anything other than a pat on the back. Here it does, but we know there there are probably some drivers in USF 2000 that their future depends on winning this championship. Where do things stand as we head into the final weekend? Yeah, indeed. In USF 2003, really, you know, really talented young drivers looking to get that championship. And as you said, $400,000 worth of scholarship that would, of course, help them move to Indy Pro 2000 in 2023. Miles Rowe leads the way right now, a second-year driver we saw score a victory, you know, last year in his, in his rookie year with Force Indy, he won at New Jersey. But he's been a force this year for sure. I think he's been able to show his talent. He comes in with a decent little lead, about 23 points ahead of uh, Michael D. Orlando. Seems like the two of those drivers have been battling it out all season long. Miles running with Paps Racing and Michael D. Orlando with the juggernaut that is Cape Motorsports. And they've got him going head, head on, you know, battling back and forth, winning races back and forth. But it was kind of a mid-season, I think, run of consistency and podium finishes and wins for Miles. 
which would give him a pretty good lead, right? 23 points. You can get 33 points per race. We have three races on a triple header this weekend at the finale, so 99 points up for grabs. So it's still really wide open. I thought it might have, you know, actually coming in Toronto, we kind of thought it was going to be just two drivers, right? A two a two horse run to the final, but they kind of got into it a little bit in the final race of Toronto, and the win went to Chase Denmark, who is Miles' teammate at Paps Racing, and he got the victory there while both Roe and Orlando got together and fell back to fourth and fifth. So it, it's really brought Chase Denmark back into the fight as well. He's only 25 points back, so it's a three driver scrap for the money in Portland. And that's going to be a point of pride too for both of these teams for Paps. And in Cape Motorsports, is they go at it for the team championship, and they also want their driver to get the individual championship. Well, I think I talked to Augie Paps. You know, he's won the team championship before, but you know, over the you know the first ten years of the series in USF 2000, starting in 2010, I think Cape won eight of the first ten. So they were kind of that big team that always was able to get a drivers' championship. And I talked to Augie midway through the season. I think it was Road America, and he just he could tell him he said. I want this driver championship so bad. It's something we've never been able to pull away from Cape or some of the other teams. So he's really excited. And he's got two, you know, two guys in the battle. So he's got a, a pretty good odds of taking it. And I think that uh, I think we're going to see a pretty mature Miles Rowe with a point lead like he has going into the weekend. And that's what I'm wondering, what his approach is. And you can maybe help me with the math if you've thought about it. Plus 23 with a triple header. How aggressive does he need to be in this circumstance? To be honest, if he can get on the podium all three days, it really yeah, all three races rather, it's in his hands, right? As long as he can get that done, because there's other guys that are going to step up. You know, Jagger Jones is going to want to get a win. Billy Fraser, those are the other two drivers in the top five. They're going to be hungry for a victory. You know, Jagger got one earlier in the year. Billy Fraser is looking for his first one. So everybody kind of comes in with a different mindset. Some of the guys may be more aggressive than others, and of course, turn one at Portland. I could really make things uh, make things change in terms of the overall strategy. So I, I just have a feeling that the miles will play off that first round. You know, if he, if he rolls off the trailer quick can qualify, well, as long as he's on the podium, uh, if he goes to the wind, obviously he's been on a bit of a roll on that, but if he can get a podium, I think he's going to feel really good uh, going into race two and race three. Tell me what you've seen from Jagger Jones, the third generation driver, the only rookie that's run up front this season consistently. Granted, he does have a lot of experience in, in stock cars, but in formula cars, this was his first year doing this. Quite impressive. Yeah, and I think, you know, he, he was a, a driver who won a championship, a couple championships, actually, at the Supercoach USA Pro Tour, which is one of the primary national karting championships. And for most drivers there, you would come out of, you know, that, that championship of winning a junior, junior title in the Pro Tour. You're going to go to, you know, you're going to go to the road, you? you may go to that 1,600 first or whatever it may be, but... He elected to go in a different direction when stock car racing, as you said, and that really is still a lot about car control and the stock car racing that he did. Uh, I was very happy to see him in New Jersey last year when he told me he was lining up a test to run with tape, and I believe Paps as well to look at you know 2022 and USF 2000. So he's one of those drivers like an Oliver Askew, uh, like a Kyle Kirkwood, like a Braden Eves, who are you know a little bit older coming into USF 2000, not 14, 15 years of age, not 19 years old, you're a little you know 18, 19, they're more mature. So. Uh, I think we saw a lot of maturity out of him. He got better and better as the year went on, even though he won early at Barber Motorsports Park. But I like what I've seen out of him a lot. Uh, I don't know that he'll be back in USF 2000 next year. As, a, uh, as I said, a little higher up in the age bracket, so he may be looking to move higher on the road to Indy, uh, the ladder. But I've been really pleased with having Jagger in the paddock. And, he, you know, he's, he's got a great personality. Obviously, he has the surname that everybody knows. But just Jagger on his own is just a great kid, and I look forward to seeing what he's able to do in coming years. And you mentioned something that I've been a proponent of, um, maybe just a little bit of patience. You know, we love to hear 
about the teenage sensation and, you know, Max Verstappen getting to Formula One and uh, running up front as a teenager and all of that. But there's a kind of common denominator uh, of at least three of the top four. They're all 19 and above. Miles is what, maybe 21, 22. Yep. Michael D. Orlando is 20. Jagger is 19, almost 20. I think Jace Denmark is younger. He's what, 16 or 17, something like that? I think Jace, Jace might actually be 18 at this point. Okay, okay, yeah. there you go. I so there, be, I think he may be 18. I don't think I, that's you know, coincidence. I think there's something to be said for making the most out of the budget you have, having that maturity and, and making it count. I don't feel like you have to get to IndyCar by the time you're 19 years old. What's wrong with 21 or 22? interesting right and i say this to a lot of parents as you know kevin in, in the time you've had with jackson through karting and, and you, you've watched what's happened in the karting world there is obviously a feeling right now that everybody wants to get into usf juniors when they're 13 or 14 you know they want to be 14 15 in, in usf 2000 they feel that they need to, to to be way ahead of the curve be the youngest ever that kind of a thing and of course that comes from max for shopping as you had mentioned going to formula one at such a young age but you know, i believe in one of the success formulas that says you find somebody that's doing what you do is having the success that you want and you model them, right? You use them as a mentor. Well, if you're a young driver coming in the ranks over the last five years, whoever you model, you're looking at Oliver Askew, Kyle Kirkwood, Braden mm. Eves. I don't, both Oliver and Kyle were 19 when they ended up getting into USF 2000. They were 14. They were 19. Yep. There's that level of maturity that allows you to stay out of trouble and maybe blend better with your engineer in terms of your dialogue. So you have a better level of communication. Uh, also, we should mention, you know, we think about it as a development for drivers, and we've talked about mechanics and teams as well. Hey, we've got a perfect example this year. Cape Motorsports, the dominating team, especially until the last two or three years, there's more depth now, but they're moving up back to Indy Light starting next year. Yeah, it's kind of bittersweet for us, right? We've always had Nicholas and Dominic Cape in the paddock. They are, you know, the stalwarts of USF 2000 racing. They've been around for, you know, how many, multiple decades, winning championships. And, of course, as we know, uh, they're just a championship-winning team. They, they just always want to win. But you're right. They had they had some time in uh, in Indy Lights back, and they actually worked with the uh, Dan Anderson Indy Lights team at one point. Uh, and to see them get a chance to go back, I think that's really exciting. It is. It's, I'm going to hate not seeing them in our paddock. But they moved from St. Petersburg up to Brownsburg to set up a shop there for a reason. Uh, they kept it quiet at that point. But, man, the focus is to potentially, you know, go to, obviously, go to Indy Lights. And, and they, they won't be shy of telling you that they'd love to be able to have an IndyCar team one day. So I think it's really exciting. Good for Nicholas and Dominic. But uh, we're definitely going to miss them on the road to Indy. And, by the way, one of the reasons why it would make sense this year to make the jump to start a new team in Indy Lights is that they're changing tires next year. So it's more yeah. of a level playing field for everyone as Indy Lights moves on to the Firestones next year. And the last time they were in Indy Lights, I don't know if that matters, but they were running Firestones back in the day. Uh, the Road to Indy, USF 2000, and Indy Pro 2000 remain on Cooper tires as we move forward. So let's move to the second step of the ladder. Is it pretty much locked, locked up for Louis Foster? What does he have to do, plus 77, to clinch this weekend with three races? Yeah, what a year it's been for Louis, right? Uh, kind of got a, got a feel for the tires and qualifying early in the season as soon as he did. His qualifying effort, his average went way up. He was starting up front. He was winning races and got in a great streak. Uh, he's up, as you said, by 77 points. The magic number coming in was 99, because that's how many points are up for grabs in the category uh, for the three races. But at this point here, race number one, all he really needs to do is finish ahead of Reese Gold and Nolan Siegel. Those are the two drivers that are actually still have a mathematical chance at potentially uh, beating him. But that said, I want to say an 11th place finish in race number one 
is all he needs as well. There's 16 drivers in the field, so if he finishes just 11th, he'll secure the championship as well. But I believe in the end, all he needs to do is start all three races, and he'll be the champion uh, and get that scholarship worth over 614000 And that's for exclusive auto sports, so that will be nice to see them have an opportunity to win a championship. And then Hunkos Hollinger has uh, come close. Reese Gold is one of those that we've seen. Well, I'm going to guess this is maybe his fourth year in the road dandy with a couple in USF 2000 and and a couple in uh, Indy Pro 2000. He seems like he's probably ready to move up to Indy Lights as well. Yeah, I've had a chance to sit down and talk to Reese um, and his, his driver coach as well, Oz Negri, and the plan for him is to move to Indy Lights. Uh, he's had a really strong season. You know, obviously was a race winner in USF 2000, coming up through the ranks there, running with Cape Motorsports, and then became a race winner as well in Indy Pro 2000. And you know, when you're when you've got your second year in the books, you've won races, you're challenging for a championship. Uh, you know, you could stay if you want to try to win that title uh, and that scholarship, but you know, he's got the backing he needs to move to Indy Lights. That's, I think we'll see him there next year. I don't know what team as of yet. It's interesting because. You know, does he end up with Hunkos? Do they come back to Indy Lights because he's been with them for two more years? Or he does have that connection with Cape Motorsports, having run with them in USF 2000. And if you go even deeper, uh, Reese's gold dad, his, his dad, uh, Mark, actually raced for Cape Motorsports a couple of decades ago. Their so. very first driver, I believe, is what Dominic really? told me. So I will bring this exactly. up because I have no information. I obviously have I some, some inside access on the Capes, but I've not asked them who their drivers are. I've got some guesses on some things, but I've not talked to anyone about this, so I can speculate as freely as anyone else. But that'd be my guess, that he's one of yeah. their drivers next year. It's funny, Kevin, because I actually asked them straight out, and they did, both Nichols and Dominic gave me that smirk where they weren't going to tell me. So I'm in the same place as you. I'm able to just kind of guess and make some thoughts. And it just makes sense that, that he may be one of the drivers. Um, and then, you know, there's other guys that are moving up. You know, it's, I, I talked to a lot of guys, and as we know – best way to do the road DMV if you haven't won the scholarship is two years, right? You do the first year to learn the car, learn what it takes all the racetracks, you come back that second year to try to win a championship. And, you know, in USF 2000 this year, you mentioned the older drivers. We only have two racers in the top 10 who are rookies. Everybody else, sophomore drivers or third-year drivers in USF 2000, only Jagger Jones and Nikki Hayes are the rookies. Uh, and then you look at Indy Pro 2000, the number of the rookies stepping up in a big way. Louis Foster with a ch- uh, championship now pretty much locked. Third place is Nolan Siegel, his first year in the series. Salvador de Alba coming in as a rookie. I think you're going to see Louis Foster move up, obviously, with the scholarship. I think Reese will move up. I know Nolan Siegel's potentially going to be testing. But I knew he likes to before the end of the year. Anama Med told me he wants to move up. Josh Karina said their plans are to move up as well. So, mm. uh, I'll tell you, the road to Indy is working right now for Indy Lights. We've seen it struggle a little bit over the last couple of years, but with some new teams coming in and some expansion potentially, Uh, I think it looks really good for drivers wanting to go up the ranks. And I think only a couple drivers from Indy Lights are going to move to IndyCar, and most of them are going budget-willing, going to be returning next year. We mentioned we've got some new teams coming in. Legacy is also working on a program for next year in Indy Lights. So uh, there's reason to believe that we could see an increased car count in Indy Lights next year. That would not surprise me at all. It feels to me like the number of drivers we've had graduating up from Mindy Pro 2000 is going to mean that you're going to have a good flock of rookies come into Indy Lights. And I think, you know what, that's that first time we've really had a big push. There have been people who have been worried about the car counts in Indy Lights. And what I kept going back to was you have to go back to 2017 when we were making the move to the new car from the old Pro Mazda to the, then the new Tadis PM18. Uh, we only had six full-time drivers in 2017 in, in a shortened 
you know, five weekend schedule. So it took a little bit of time, I think, for people to get back rolling. We've got that number up to 15, 16, 17 cars. Sometimes an Indy Pro 2000. Now you have the pool again where we can graduate four, five, six drivers from our own ladder system, not just drivers coming from overseas as well. Um, before we let you go, I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about Louis Foster, who we think we'll see in Indy Lights next year is going to be the champion. Admittedly, I was focused a little bit more on the USF 2000 and the Indy Lights programs this year. I just know that I was told about him when he came to the Chris Griffiths test last year that he came with um, a great background and he was immediately quick and has shown it this year. What should we know about Louis Foster? Well, you know, Louis is one of the drivers, of course, that has done the stuff over in Europe that any any driver would do, working his way up the ranks, you know, got himself into British F3 and did extremely well there, ran Euro Formula Open, I believe, as well, and, and was really impressive in the, in the Chris Griffiths test. And I think for any driver like that, he comes at 18 years of age, but he seems very mature. You know, he, I would say he would have been 20, 21 kind of a thing. He, he came in very focused. And I think one of the immediate things, and, we, you know, Kevin, we go to this all the time in our broadcasts, it's, it's all about the connection, right? That language and that, that communication they have with the engineer. And he connected with Exclusive Autosport and spent that first weekend at IMS on the road course at the Chris Griffiths test uh, with John Hayes, who is the veteran engineer for Exclusive Autosport. And they really bonded really quickly. And uh, in talking to John after that test, he was like, man, I, I really hope we get this kid because I want to work with him. And that was kind of the story. And we used this throughout the season. Louis came over, and one of the biggest things Europeans have, uh, their biggest, I guess, stress or their biggest challenge is to learn the Cooper tires, right? They've never driven anything like the tires that we run here on the road to Indy. So it took him a while to get a feel for it and primarily maximizing them in qualifying, just like any you know, Indy Lights graduate in uh, IndyCar has to maximize the reds when they don't get a chance to run them. It's the same for Louis. He struggled a bit learning how to qualify on those tires, really get the most out of it during our half-hour qualifying sessions, which really are normally broken down into two 12-minute sessions as you come in and put fresh tires on. Once he got a feel for that at the road course in Indianapolis, that just changed everything around. As I said, his average starting spot moved very close to the front, oftentimes on the front row, oftentimes on pole. Uh, and then working with John Hayes, they were really able to dial in that setup. They wanted to get the car the way he wanted it. And anytime a driver can have that trust from an engineer who isn't just setting up the car the way it's supposed to be. Hey, we won the championship last year with this setup. Drive it like this. But when the engineer says, okay, you tell me what you want, maybe I can make some changes. When there's that level of trust, that's when you see the success start to amplify. And I think that's what we saw midway through the season for Louis. Because listen, he did one of the things I always love seeing. He won on all three disciplines. He won on the Oval at, uh, at Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis Raceway Park, won the Freedom 90. He won on uh, the natural terrain road courses of IMS, Mid-Ohio, uh, and he also was able to win on the street circuit at uh, Toronto. So to be able to win in all three disciplines, I think that shows he's a really rounded driver. Yeah, and he'd come close to winning several championships in Europe, second last year in the Euro Formula Open Championship, yep. uh, finished second, in, or maybe third in, in the British F4 series and British F3. So hugely impressive to come over learning these tracks and he just said the tires in his first year in the road dindy and looks like he's on the brink of winning a championship so i think that's a name we'll hear in the future louis foster rob it's always good to chat with you i'll see you in portland uh you can listen and watch also with video on the road to indy youtube channel or on the usf 2000 and indy pro 2000 websites they have links there as well including the road to indy tv app thank you rob we'll see you out there 
Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. Rob Howden, the voice of the road to Indy with a little bit on the next generation of IndyCar drivers. Stay with us. We'll see what we miss coming up next on Trackside. Hi, this is Scott McLaughlin, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Final segment as we get set to head to the Pacific Northwest coming up this weekend. Uh, Let's see. Schedule. Well, Thursday, road to Indy practice sessions, test sessions. IndyCar gets going on Friday afternoon. Everything is on Peacock. So I believe that's a 125 local start according that's for the Indy Lights first practice and the IndyCar practice is at 2:30 so that would be 5:30 Eastern time Saturday practice 2 will be at 9 a.m. local time so that's noon Eastern time qualifying 3:05 Eastern time and then the uh, final practice, no Sunday warm-up, so final practice is on Saturday afternoon, 4.15 local, 7.15 Eastern time on Saturday night. The Indy Lights race is coming up on Sunday. And remember, they have a doubleheader coming up at Laguna Seca, so they still have three events to go. Championship pretty much settled at this point, but the Indy Lights race is at 10.15 local, 1.15 Eastern on Peacock on Sunday, and then IndyCar, noon local, 3 o'clock Eastern here on the radio and also on NBC and Peacock TV with about a 3.30 green flag uh indycar.com will have us covered anything we should be looking forward to this weekend or early next kurt well tomorrow you can read who's going to win the race by arnie schrieben who has been magnificent at picking those uh race winners i have not fared as well (laughs) and uh you know we'll also take a deep dive into the championship battle relative to the rookie of the year award which is tightened up considerably with david malukas finishing second at st louis and uh and, of course, uh, Christian Lundgaard has been the guy, uh, you know, for the last few weeks. But that battle is coming to a, to a head as well, just like the championship battle. I am quite happy to be headed to Portland, but this would be one of the weekends I'd like to be here because you've got the NHRA U.S. Nationals going on at Raceway Park. You've uh, got Porsche Carrera Cup with Jeff Gordon racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and you've got things going on at uh, Speedrome and Circle City Raceway as well this weekend. So lots of stuff happening. We'll be back to talk about what's happening in IndyCar next Tuesday night, getting set for the championship next Tuesday night at 7. For Josh Molnick's Kurt Cavan, I'm Kevin Lee. Thanks for joining us, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.